0: During our call to worship, we took a time to sit silently. Our community lost a significant member. The, the memorial service was Thursday for Zach Stuckey. I went. Um, many of our friends, even if none of us knew Zach directly, um, a lot of us know the friends of the Stuckey families. And, and as we were sitting there in that space, um, giving time for, our, for mourning, for grief, um, for grief, I was reminded that, you know, all of us are in different places. Some of us come in here without a care in the world. We just got the promotion. We just got the raise. We just got the house. We just signed the deal. You know, the person just said yes. Uh, The new baby's sleeping through the night, you know. Uh, Yeah, amen, right? That's like being born again, right, brother? (laughs) Um, some, and some of us are still in the place of mourning Some of us are still in the place of loss And then everywhere in between Everywhere in between So I want to again this morning Make space for that I want to make space for wherever you are To sit silently And to welcome The Holy Spirit To welcome the Lord Into, this, into your space The Lord is here We believe that the Holy Spirit is in this place, but let's take time to welcome God into our space, whatever it is, one of joy, one of grief, one of indifference, one of confusion. Um, So pray with me, and then after that, you'll see words appear on the screen. We will read the bold ones together um, as our confession of what we anticipate today. Pray with me, if you would. Grace Church, who is it that you seek? Do you seek God with all your heart? Do you seek God with all your soul? Do you seek God with all your mind? Do you seek God with all your strength? Well, I had a great introduction prepared this morning. Uh, I wrote it up in the worship guide, and then we had this group of visitors from Iraq come to share their morning with us. Um, So they're here from universities, they're undergraduate students from all over Iraq, and they're here um, funded by the State Department as a immersion in American culture. So of course they've come to the pinnacle of American culture, (laughs) right, Arkansas. I mean, come on, where else are you going to go, right? Uh, but they're here for two weeks, right? Two weeks, and they're, they're visiting, they've been to Crystal Bridges, and they're, they're going canoeing on the Buffalo today, and they've been doing all kinds of great stuff, and they came to join us to see what an American church service. I'm sorry that this probably won't be a typical American church service, but, but you are most welcome here with us. And it's also a fantastic example of our text this morning of how change occurs. Because, as if you're joining us, if you're visiting with us, we've been studying the book of Acts. And we've been letting Acts ask us questions. And in turn, we have been asking questions of the book of Acts with it. And we come to this text in particular today where things are continuing to change they're continuing the church from the from how it was started when it was first founded in jerusalem to being primarily a sect of the jewish religion to how it is now branching out into this global gentile world religion with that well uh, that Normally, you would say something like that doesn't just happen overnight, but in the span of history, this this literally is an overnight transformation. If we look at it from a historical perspective of 6,000 years of history, the church going from being primarily made up of Jewish believers centered around worship at the temple to a global Gentile, non-temple-based religion happens overnight. It's a dramatic, sudden change. How does that happen? What in the world is going on? Well, let's take a look at the text and we'll see. The big idea here is that Barnabas and the early church let their theology and indeed their entire worldview be shaped by humble, responsive interaction and engagement with others by God and by the Holy Spirit and by the continual study of Scripture. So there's three things happening that are, that are forming this change. It is their, is their humble and obedient interaction with people that were previously off limits, that were previously their enemies. They actually go and they eat with them. They stay with them. They, they, they spend time with them. Barnabas even physically moves into their community. The whole time also this is being guided by the Holy Spirit, so they're open to the Holy Spirit. They're open to change, and they're recognizing that this change comes from God. And they're not leaving their scriptures behind as they do this. Instead, they are taking their scriptures and they're reading them with a different lens. They're reading them with a new lens that is formed by the experience of this interaction with others and what they see God doing in others. So we're looking at Acts chapter 11, just a few verses this week, not not very many verses, Um, but it tells a significant story, a significant shift in what's going on. So we'll read the text, we're using the message, Eugene Peterson's translation, we're going to start in verse 19, we'll stop and make some observations along the way. Starting with verse 19, chapter 11. Those who had been scattered by the persecution triggered by Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, but they were still only speaking and dealing with their phil- fellow Jews. Stop. Pause. Wait. Why? What? Hold on. Last week, we spent the whole time talking about Cornelius getting this vision, the sheet that came down, the thing, the voice of God saying four different occasions, or, or he didn't say it four different occasions, but it's re- recorded four different times so we don't miss the point. What God has called clean, let no man call unclean. What God has opened up, what God has said, invited in, we are not to reject. We are not to stand against with that. And yet the very next verse is, hey, they were still only talking to the Jews. What up? What's going on here? Well, there's a couple possibilities. One is that these events are happening concurrently And they just haven't got the news. It's a possibility. We we don't know the exact timing on this. It's a possibility that, hey, they're telling the story in bits and and the the story of Cornelius with Peter and the church doing this, they haven't got it. But, honestly, I think it's more like this. (sighs) Habits take a long time to break, (laughs) y'all. We're... We like to think of the lightning strike change. We like to think of the mountaintop experience. We like to think of the Damascus Road experiences the way things change We like to think of that one experience, that one encounter that we have that changes everything for us. And, and to be fair, it often feels that way. It often feels like change happens in a moment with that. But after years of observing and years of watching this, usually what I find is this, is that the change has been happening and you just don't know it. The shaping has been going on, you just haven't been aware of it. And then something finally happens where you have that aha moment where your experience lines up with your understanding, where those two things come together. And that's when you experience, that's when you feel it. That that's that moment we call an epiphany or a revelation or something. But really, what it is, it's it's not anything new, per se, but finally your understanding and your experience line up with one another. I I think they got it intellectually, maybe. I think I think the Jewish followers, they 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 heard the story of what happened to Peter. They saw the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentile church. They understood that this wasn't going to be centered in the temple anymore. But, y'all, that's all they knew. All they knew was the temple. All they knew was Torah. All they knew was the Midrash. All they knew was the way of functioning in the world like that. Isn't that the way with us so often, right? Like, we know we ought to try that new restaurant to be just really, really superficial, Everybody's told us a new restaurant's good. We know it's clean. We know the food won't kill us. But man, I'm just—I I, just—I'm—I'm I'm so used to going where I, I go. I'm just so used to my place. I'm just so used to what I want. Right? We know that. Hey, if I moved into this different neighborhood with these people who don't, their skin color is not the same as mine, or maybe they listen to different music or different things. We know that it'd be really cool to do that. We know that I'd probably learn a lot. I know that I'd probably. grow But, man, I've lived in this neighborhood all my life. It's comfortable here. And that's not bad. I'm not not saying it's bad. I'm just saying you're not going to change there. You're not going to change. And change is what's happening and what is being initiated and propelled by the Holy Spirit here. Let's go on. Then some of the men from Cyprus and Cyrene who had come to Antioch started talking to the Greeks. It's interesting that they had already come from the Diaspora, giving them the message of the master Jesus. God was pleased with what they were doing. He put His stamp of approval on it. Quite a number of the Greeks believed and turned to the master. When the church in Jerusalem got wind of this, they sent Barnabas to Antioch to check on things. I love this because their response was not either, Okay, that's cool, let them do their thing. Or, well, that can't be right because Greeks, you know, you know the Greeks, right? You know the Greeks. No, they're like, let's check it out. Let's go. Let's see with our eyes. Instead of talking about it, let's, let's go do it. Uh, <laughs> I wonder how social media would change these days if we applied a little bit more of this, instead of hearing something about someone who said something somewhere else, and then instantly lighting up the internet with our thoughts on the matter. If instead maybe we'd say stop and go, you know what, let me check this out. Let me see what's really happening here. Let me see what's really going on here. And that's what the church did. This is, this is a, a very positive example of the way the church responded. It says, as soon as he arrived, Barnabas, you got to love Barnabas. Man, I'm loving Barnabas more and more every week. This guy's got it going on. As soon as he arrived, he saw that God was behind it and in it all. He threw himself in with them, got behind them, urging them to stay with it for the rest of their lives. If there is a more Jesus-y statement than he threw himself in with them, I don't know what it is. This is literally the representation of incarnation. We believe as Christians that God became one of us. That Jesus literally threw himself in with us. He didn't stand off far away and give us laws. Dispensing justice and mercy and retribution and condemnation. No, he said, I'm throwing myself in with him. He became incarnate. Barnabas is following the example of Jesus as he does this. Following Jesus, you see, is not just a change of mind, but it is also a change of associations. It's a change in community, in aspirations, affiliations, affections, allegiances. That's what Jesus does is he changes our heart. He changes our people. Time and time again, the Christian scripture speaks to it and says, you once were not a people, now you are a people. You once were far away, now you're close. You once were off limits, now you're included. You once were not part of the family, now you are. It's this constant changing of who's in. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes. And that is changing our associations as we go. Um, we've said it time, or I've said it time and time again here, look, if you're here just to let Jesus pimp your life out, <laughs> if you're looking here to get a little Jesus sauce on the side so that your life will go smoother, I get it. I'm glad you're here. Probably for a lot of my life I showed up to church so that Jesus would make my life easy, at least make it not as hard. That's not a bad thing. But that's not, that may be where it starts, that's not where it stops. That's not where it's going. That's not the ultimate goal of why we're here. So the text goes on, the story goes on. Well, let me say this. In a world that sells, demands, models, expects that we constantly find others like us and silo up, The gospel demands the exact opposite. He goes on, he says, he was a good man that way, enthusiastic, confident in the Holy Spirit's ways. The community grew large and strong in the master. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. He found him and brought him back to Antioch. There they were a whole year meeting with the church, teaching them, teaching a lot of people. It was in Antioch that the disciples were first Time called Christians. And I've been to this church. It's interesting. It's in Turkey now. It's in Antiochia, uh, right next to the Syrian border. And there's a small church here, a stone church, and it commemorates where believers were first called Christians in that area. Um, There are a number of reasons why commentators say why Christianity was chosen as the name, why we identify as Christians. 2,000 years later, after they were first called, we still call ourselves Christians. And I thought a lot about this. Um, some people think it's derogatory, that it was something that, that was kind of a, a, a put-down. Oh, look at those little Jesus. Look at those Christians. A lot of, a lot of our, our, the things, the words we use to associate with the church were initially derogatory terms. Methodist was a derogatory term. They were like, oh, those method, all they do is just follow the methods with that. Methodist adopted, became their name. Uh, Quakers, same thing. Literally, Quakers is what you think, right? (laughs) They would fall out, have a static experiences in the Holy Spirit. Their bodies would shake. They were made fun of as Quakers with that. Um, That could be what's happening here. But let me just, let me just throw this out, okay? This is just, let's just see. Let's just see what you think about this. So last week, we talked about how, I think it was last week, where it was said that the, the believers in Jerusalem were called followers of the way, which is a very enamoring way to think of. Like, I, I, man, the way, that's cool. Like, instead of calling myself a Christian, because Christian, listen, Christian's got some good stuff, it's got some bad stuff too. That term Christianity has got some baggage with it, it's got some drawbacks. I'll never remember, or I'll never forget, never remember, I'll never forget, yeah, (laughs) come on, that one, yeah, that's funny. Um, We were on some event down at Dixon Street back in my zealous youth for all things uh, out there, and we were having a 24-hour reading of the Bible on Dixon Street, right? So we're on a microphone on the corner, kind of street preacher type. Just reading the Word. We weren't holding up signs or anything. We were just reading the Bible, right? And this one guy comes by, and he's six sheets to the wind. I mean, he's, he's drunk. But he comes by, and he just looks at it. And he goes, you evil Christians. <laughs> I mean, he was having none of it. Um, but there are a lot of places people could very sober, soberly say that because of the ways the church has acted without love, without kindness. And so sometimes it's it's tempting to think, hey, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the church. I don't want anything to do with the Christians. I love Jesus. There's literally a book out there. I love Jesus, but not the church. Um, but here's the thing. It's interesting to me that the change in name comes in between this story about Barnabas and the Gentiles. Because what we're seeing is a a movement away from temple-based worship, from culturally identified Jewish worship into a Gentile-formed worship. One that is more around worship outside of the temple. And I think as long as they were in the temple... I think as long as it was primarily formed by, by Judaic tradition, adding a term like followers of the way fit under that category. It made sense to be a sect of Judaism. You could still be a Jew and a follower of the way. It was like version 1.0 of the naming of what it meant to be a follower. A lot of things to be commended for that but as that faith moved away from the temple moved away from the mosaic and the in the the Judaic tradition that no longer worked it wasn't clear enough it wasn't it was a little too esoteric it just didn't quite ring true it was close but just didn't quite ring true and so in its stead, they took and they go, okay, it is about this way of living, but it's also about this way of being. Because Christianity at its core is a way of being. Not just a rule, set of rules to follow. Not just an ethos to practice, but it's a way of, of being. It's an embodied faith. Christianity is something about the transformation of the heart. Do our actions change? Yes, absolutely. And there's always a dialogue going back and forth. There's always a synergy between how we act and how we think, what we, what we believe and what we feel. But ultimately, what God is after is our heart. God is after our affections. And that's a way of being in the world. And I think what they found as they, as they tried to figure out how they called themselves so they said, really, guys, this is what it is. Y'all, we're just trying to be like Jesus. We're just, we're just trying to be little Jesuses together. We're just trying to be Christians with that. Now, take that for what it's worth. But I thought it was interesting the way that it played out in our text. Um, It goes on, it says, it was about the same time that the prophets came up from Antioch to Jerusalem. One of them, named Agabus, stood up one day, prompted by the Spirit, warned that a severe famine was about to devastate the country. The famine famine eventually came during the rule of Claudius. So the disciples decided that each of them should send whatever they could to their fellow Christians in Judea to help them out. They sent Barnabas and Saul to deliver the collection to the leaders in Jerusalem. Um, And this last part shows that the the evolution of the faith is, is again, it's, it's moving away from the temple because before, anything like that collection for famine or for widows or for orphans went through the temple system. This is our first indication that that is moving outside. Well, second, they were still doing it in Jerusalem when they appointed the deacons, but here we see it in a totally different context. So the faith is now forming fully away from the temple, and that is significant for our understanding. And so let's ask a couple of questions here. As we, as we studied this, I thought about asking the book of Acts, asking the people there, where did you find the motivation to take the risk to join the Gentiles? I mean, look, we know we have this miraculous experience with Peter. We know he falls into the vision and he sees the thing. But the people who went to teach here, we don't, we don't know who they are. It just says they came from Cyrene. They came from Cyprus. We don't, we don't know who they are. We don't know what motivated them. We have no idea if they had a vision or not. We, have, we don't know what happened. Something changed in them. Something motivated them. Something in them said, you know what? All these people that we have been at war at, that we've hated, that God, we've said God has told us are our enemies... You know what? They need to be included. They need to be part of us. I I don't know what that is. Scripture is not clear overall. It gives us indications. It gives us hints. It gives us specific stories. But overall, I don't know what does that. What motivated them to do that? To me, it's one of the profound mysteries of Scripture is how that was working out. The other thing that I think I would like to ask is what is the actual evidence you saw in them that helped you overcome your ideas about them? Because what we know it wasn't was they didn't become Jews first. Now, that may not sound very important, but it is profoundly important is the evidence that God was working in them was not that they became Jewish. That they got circumcised, they started eating kosher, they started going to the temple. That was not the evidence of God working in their life. There was something else. What was it? Was it the gifts of the spirits? Was it speaking in tongues? Was it it something like that? Was it... Was it all of a sudden that they started to give up hatred and envy and malice? Was it, was it that they started to take care of, like the church was demonstrating, the widows, the orphans, the poor? Was it that they started to renounce their nationalistic tendencies and say, you know what, I don't care what flag this person is under. They are my brother. They are my sister. What was going on? And again, we have, we have a, for me, I'm not, listen, I'm not standing in judgment in Scripture, but I'm like, I want to know more. Like, come on, Luke, throw your brother a bone here. Like, I, I want to know more. What was the evidence that, that when these guys, these, these new followers, these new Christians went into Antioch and they started preaching to the Gentiles, and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, it is obvious God is here. What what was it? We don't know. We don't know. Scripture's not clear there, but what it is clear is that it was obvious to Barnabas. It was obvious to Saul. And it was obviously still incomplete. Because they stayed there for a year teaching them. A full year they stayed there teaching them. Teaching them. So this evidence that God is working in our lives can be obvious, but I think equally in all of us it's still incomplete. It's not finished. It doesn't just drop on us fully formed. I think in addition, Acts may be asking us, what's our criteria? What's the criteria we're using to determine what's true and what God is doing? What's our evaluation that, hey, we could say like Barnabas, God is here. God is working. God has called these people. God is in these people. God is working in these people. What's our criteria? How, what do we say about that? And then the next thing I would say is, what are we willing to risk in being obedient to that? Listen, don't let anybody fool you. Christianity is a risky religion. It is full of risk-taking and risk-takers. It is full of, and I believe it primarily like, like all things that are truly scriptural, truly of God, it starts with God. God takes a risk on us. God believes in us first. Before we believe in God, God believes in us. Before we love God, God loves us. Before we know God, God knows us. And if we're ever gonna take a risk on God, we gotta know God's already risked on us. Because let me tell you, I'm a risky proposition. I am full of faults and prejudices and ignorances and failures. Uh, it's not, I'm not a sure bet by any stretch of the imagination. But Christianity is a risk-taking religion with that. And what we see here is that this risk is that they're going to start a whole new system. They're, gonna, they're, they're not just going to be a sect of Judaism anymore, they're like, no, we're going to be Christians. We're going to set up, we're going to take care of widows and orphans. We're going to set our way of teaching and taking care of people and sending people out with that. And we're going to figure out how to teach this, how to, how to replicate it, how to take it out. And it soon became the fastest growing faith. It took over the world at its time with that. These Christians were risk takers. And centuries old habits and innate sinful selfishness, they overcame it by taking this risk. They, took it, they, overtake, they overcame those by willing to interact, to rub up, to be shaped, to be molded, like we showed earlier, by being fully in with the others, with the outcast, with the ones who were outside of what they had grown up believing was true and good and right. Well, now let me tell you this. Even as we look at how to change, let me tell you how not to change. Play it safe. It's kind of like the difference between watching reality TV, that whole mess with the Kardashians and the Bachelorette. I know no one in here would watch that kind of stuff. I just throw that out as an example that we can feel superior to those that do. (laughs) But I don't know. I got an amen on that on The Bachelorette. (laughs) Um, It's the difference between watching The Bachelorette and thinking you're engaging with other people and being part of Recreo and showing up on a Friday night and working with a family with disability. From throwing yourselves in With that group How not to change Just sit back, play it safe Surround yourself With people who look like you, smell like you Taste like you, like the things that you like And never venture out of that Oh sure, watch it on TV For entertainment But don't actually do it Don't actually go out and interact With other people I mean it's a The testimony of y'all coming here, of you being here from so far away from Iraq, leaving your homes, leaving everything, learning our language, what a gift that you would learn our language to come learn something about us. That is a significant gift that you have given us, your presence here, the work that you had to go through. I'm sure you had to fill out all kinds of forms, pay all kinds of money, do do all this thing, right? Right? Wow, wow, what a gift. That's a prime example of of risk taking. That's a prime example of moving, of going to say, hey, I'm not going to be content just with what I learn on TV, what I see in the movies. Please don't learn about Americans from the movies. Okay? Although I am Iron Man. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) no. that, that's what we're called to do, and that's how this change happens, is that we, we purposely interact, we, in, we enter into other people's lives, and we share that with them. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now, <clears throat> and we're going to transition our time. So one of the things we practice at Grace Church, I don't expect you or anyone else to believe what I say because I have the microphone. That doesn't make it right because I have the microphone. The way that we discern that together as a body is now we pray. We let the Lord speak to us. We worship. We also gather in our groups throughout the week to discuss the message, to say, what does this look like? We talk about it. In our our one-on-one meetings, we reflect on it. We go back and we read the scripture for ourselves to see what is true about this or what is not true about that. But also we respond in obedience. Because again, if we just sit here and expect ideas to form us without action, we are going to sit like that lump of Play-Doh on the table and nothing's going to change. We have to act on it. So this is the time where you purpose to act on it. Is there something that the Holy Spirit is saying to you that you need to do? Is there a specific thing, a conversation, an action you need to take? Write it down. Commit to it now. Don't leave here without intending to act on what God is speaking to you. That's what this time is for, is to discern that and commit to it. It's also a time where we take up an offering. We do that because it's evidence that none of us here is without something to give and none of us here is without a need. So we share among one another. We share. It's part of our worship is giving with that and part of our worship is receiving. If you need someone to pray with, find someone you trust. It's a time. You don't have to stay in your seat. You can get up. You can go find someone, pray with them, ask them to pray for you with that. This summer, our practice has been to take communion together. We're practicing acts, holding things together, taking them. So the way we're going to do this is we we come up. We don't dismiss by rows. You just come up. You'll come up. You'll take the elements. You'll hold them. Sit close. Stay close. Then we'll we'll take the elements together, and then you can move back to where you were seated, or you can stay where you were with that. I'll come up and lead us through the taking together. Y'all, the ultimate interaction that changes us is the interaction with this table and who it represents, Jesus. Jesus is the one that changes us. He's the one that changes our heart, that changes our minds, that changes our lives. And that is not just a one-time shot. That is something that takes shaping, just like a potter has to spin the wheel and keep spinning, and keep forming, and keep shaping, and keep forming. That's what the table does to us. As we keep coming up against the table, it keeps shaping us, turning us into something we could never imagine in the hands of the Master Jesus. This table is open to all who are, wel- all are welcome at the table, everyone who is seeking Jesus, everyone who wants to know Jesus. This table is open to you. Because it's not us. This table is not Grace Church. This table is set and provided by Jesus. We are receivers. And it is together here at this table that we are remembered, molded together so that we are sent out in Jesus' name. Thank you for being here this morning.